Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 163 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Matt Lombardo, but big changes to the podcast this week as we welcome in Daryl Slater covering the Giants for us at NJ Advanced Media. Uh, Daryl, thanks for dropping by, man. Good to be here, man. Yeah, so uh, I'll be uh, Ryan. Obviously, is has gone uh, to less green pastures, we shall say. So, uh, and uh, we'd yeah. like to think so. Yeah, exactly. And so we'll. Uh, I'll be. I'll be with you the rest of the year here, covering the Giants, and then we'll see. Uh, but yeah, so I've been around here covering the Giants for what most of the year so far. Yeah. A little bit of Jets, mostly Giants. So gotten a little familiar with the team and uh, and you know working with you and stuff like that. So. Yeah, let's. Yeah, you're going to jump right in. And I got to give you a helmet sticker before we even get into this because prior to jumping over and covering the Giants full time uh, along with myself, you did a terrific job and still do a terrific job covering the entire NFL. Um, Some high impactful stories with you going down to Washington and talking to Landon Collins and Eric Flowers and all of those ex Giants. Uh, You were covering the Antonio Brown fiasco like nobody else in the league. So, uh, you know, kudos to you for that. And I'm really Really looking forward to uh, working with you for the rest of this year. Yeah, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. It should be fun and uh, big game, obviously, this week for the Giants. Yeah, no doubt about it. So before we dive into a couple of housekeeping items that we like to get to every week, be sure to follow Daryl on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. Of course, I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And if you like what you hear on the show, we'd love if you would subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. You can check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, you can follow the show at Talk is cheap NYG and uh, certainly a big game for the Giants probably a bigger game than it would be for most two and five teams Daryl heading to Detroit to take on the Lions Pat Shermer from the Michigan area from the greater Detroit metro area a little bit of a homecoming for him and certainly a lot more pressure on Shermer and the Giants this year heading into this game than there was last year during the preseason and not just because it's a regular season game but kind of how things have played out over the first year and a half of Shermer's tenure with the Giants the results just haven't been there. And I think it is going to come down here to a matter of how patient is John Mara going to be with a team that is young, yes, with a team that has a rookie quarterback, yes. But uh, what if they keep losing? And that becomes that becomes the big question here because Pat Shermer is 7-16 so far with the Giants. He's the second losing his coach in team history based on winning percentage in terms of guys who have coached a qualified amount of games, 20 games. Uh, and so, look – 
it, the results haven't been there the last three weeks. And there was a lot of optimism coming out of what Daniel Jones was able to do against Tampa, what he was able to do against Washington. But obviously, the last three weeks, the results haven't been there. And you could kind of understand and excuse them losing to the Vikings, losing to the Patriots. But last week was obviously a disaster on so yeah. many levels for this team to lose to the Cardinals. And this is a winnable road game for them to go up there and win this game. So it's a big stretch. I think we said it all along. The Cardinals, Lions, Cowboys, Jets pre-bye week stretch was a really uh, defining ac- moment for this ac- team yeah, almost. Accurate litmus test for Jones and Sherman. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with any of that. And I think that what has a lot of people really disappointed and probably opened some eyes in that building is the fact that they didn't just lose to the Cardinals, Daryl, who were 30th in DVOA going into the game. They were embarrassed offensively. Daniel Jones sacked eight times, an offensive line that was climbing the ranks in PFF. I believe they were 10th or 11th in the league heading into last Sunday. They allowed 22 pressures, and there's been a lot of talk about Daniel Jones holding on to the football too long, and I think there's something to be said for that and how he contributed to at least some of, if not a majority of those eight sacks. They only scored 14 offensive points, and yes, it was a miserable rainy day, but it's hard to make that many excuses when a defense hadn't been performing at that high of a level going into this game, and all of a sudden it almost feels like when you look at the the winning percentage or lack thereof for Pat Shermer, you look at the kind of the disappointment of last year and the little bit of a regression that we've seen from Daniel Jones over the last three weeks after two really fast starts to hit to games against Tampa Bay and Washington in his first two career starts. You know, you, you almost have to wonder how hot the seat or warm the seat is getting under Pat Shermer. And it's not as if a rookie quarterback is a guarantee that he's going to be able to bail him out. If you look at what ha- I mean, p- people look at that and say, oh, well, you got a rookie quarterback, you know, the team would be understanding of that. And, uh, he would keep his job. That's not really at all how it has worked recently in the NFL. You look at coaches who have gotten canned with a rookie quarterback. Todd Bowles, obviously, last year. Uh, Hugh Jackson last year. Um, Jeff Fisher a few years ago. Steve Wilkes and, Steve Wilkes uh, and Josh first, Rosen. In his first year. So, uh, ultimately, the Giants hired Pat Shermer to be the guy to mold Eli Manning's replacement. So, that is what he should be judged on along with winning games. So, if they don't see, the Giants don't see, John Mayer doesn't see uh, progress here down the stretch from Daniel Jones and doesn't see things moving in the right direction, you have to wonder if he's going to pull the plug here after just two years. And Pat Shermer got a five-year contract, so obviously that's that's a that's a tough bullet to take with uh, you know three years of the, of the buyout. So I think uh, this stretch is obviously enormous before the bye week, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Daniel Jones develops, continues to progress. One thing Pat Shermer was talking about today, kind of building off what you were saying about holding the ball too long, is some of those things from the uh, uh, those sacks that were on him, quote-unquote, from that – Cardinals game were a matter of him uh, not going through his progressions and his reads quickly enough and not seeing the check down, focusing too much and too long on the downfield option and hoping that popped open and not just checking the ball down because the Cardinals are trying to take away a lot of that stuff down the field. So that's something he needs to do a better job of going forward. It's a matter for a rookie quarterback, not of not making mistakes, right? I mean, these guys are going to make mistakes, but definitely uh, going to be growing pins. 
don't repeat them. Though. Yep. Yeah, don't make the same mistake twice. And there's something to be said that it, it's kind of the antithesis of Eli Manning because yeah. the biggest complaint about Eli Manning the last couple of years from Giants fans and from reporters was check down Charlie. Too quick to get to Saquon Barkley in the flat or check it down in the slot to Evan Ingram and not looking downfield. So it's about finding that fine balance between taking the downfield shots when they're there, but when they're not getting through your progressions quick enough so that you're not you know, giving a defensive line or a front seven that extra second or two to get into the pocket because in the NFL, they're going to make you pay for that. The speed of the game is just too quick where you can't sit in the pocket and wait for guys to break open. And part of that, and you you know brought this up to Pat Shermer on, on Thursday, was do the wide receivers have to do a better job of getting open and getting separation? And I think part of that comes into the play, Daryl, that you know Darius Slayton's a fifth-round pick. He played 69 of 71 snaps, so you're relying on a fifth-round rookie to play a meaningful part of your offense. He was only targeted twice. Sterling Shepard has been in the concussion protocol for the last two or three games. Golden Tate is just getting back and playing at a relatively high level. But this offense hasn't had the the opportunity to get all four of those big weapons on the field together. And I think that that's where, when we start talking big picture about how do you judge Pat Shermer, how do you judge the development of Daniel Jones? Well, it might be easy to spot what looks like an, a regression against three of the bet, two of the better defenses in the league. I think it's tough to really make a determination about what this duo is and what this quarterback is right now when they're not even taking the field with the offense as it was designed. Yeah, and I, Sterling Shepard not going to play this week, most likely in Detroit, and uh, that that will mean through eight games, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate have been on the field together for just one of those games. So obviously, Golden Tate's four-game suspension for PDs is a big reason for that. So, uh, but you had the stat earlier. We're standing on a practice and talking about it, and. Uh, in terms of the number of games that the Giants have had their big four on the field together, You're talking about Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard, zero games this year. So they're obviously two and five without those guys. Yep. And then uh, last year, I think you said they were two and seven, right? Yes. Yeah, so and they're we, four and 12 in yeah, two years. With, of course, Odell Beckham subbing out for Golden Tate there in that big four. So uh, obviously you need to have those guys out there. And the, and the Giants this week will have three of the four, presuming Sterling Shepard doesn't play. And uh, look, I, it is a mitigating factor, but the bottom line is uh, these guys and these coaches are judged on results, and uh, having a rookie quarterback does not guarantee that you're back. Uh, so Pat Shermer, one way or the other, he's going to have to prove he's the offensive guru they think he is and, and find a way to scheme around the fact that you've had injuries, and that's just part of the reality in the NFL. And one way or the other, however you slice it, he has to get some progress from Daniel Jones this year. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Yeah, John Merrick came out and said it before the season that, you know, this season will be judged a success or a failure if they walk out of MetLife Stadium in Week 17 and feel like they're headed in the right direction. And right now, Daryl, if you twisted my arm, I'd feel like this season, after so much promise when we left Raymond James Stadium and you saw the fourth quarter comeback drive and you saw Daniel Jones turn Evan Ingram into a one-play scoring drive type of player with that 75-yard touchdown pass, catch, and run, it, it feels like... Like all of that progress that you thought was being made is starting to slip away a little bit, and you're starting to slide back into the feeling of what you had in 2018 when you finished 5 and 11, and dare I say back to 2017 where the locker room fell apart. And we talked about this a little bit, and I wrote about it after the game that in addition to developing Daniel Jones, 
Pat Shermer has to keep this locker room together because as the losses continue to mount, these guys, I mean, Janoris Jenkins is a guy that was suspended for conduct detrimental the last time this happened in 2017. If you, there's finger pointing in the fabric of that quote unquote culture that they tried to build over the offseason starts to come apart, that, that then becomes a, another factor that gets thrown into the decision making of what you do with the head coach going into 2020. No doubt. Yeah, that, that will. That will get you unemployed very quickly in the NFL, as Ben McAdoo learned, uh, in terms of having your locker room fall apart. Uh, we haven't seen any signs of that yet, but the reality is the Giants should be 1-6. I mean, they, they should have lost that game in Tampa. Yeah. And even though Daniel Jones did show progress and played really well, I think even if they lose that game with the defense collapsing late, you come out of that game kind of feeling good about Daniel Jones because of how he played. Uh, but then, like you said, he ran into the buzzsaw, the Vikings defense, and the buzzsaw uh, of the Patriots defense. And those type of games are those are really hard to judge a rebuilding young team with a rookie quarterback because those teams are so vastly superior. But these Libus test games, these truer test games, Cardinals at home. I mean, that is a brutal loss. Lions on the road. Look, the Lions are better. They're improved. This is still a winnable game for the Giants, uh, considering you know what the Lions looked like last year. And, and they're still not a team that's able to get over the hump against good teams, as you saw the past three weeks with their three straight losses. So I think... Uh, and then the Cowboys have looked have looked uh, beatable. At That's times. like a, a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of no team doubt. because yeah. they come up to MetLife and you covered the game against the Jets and Sam Darnold, you know, torched them, made, made that yeah. secondary look like Swiss cheese. And granted that that game still came down to very similarly to Giants Buccaneers to an onside kick that determined the outcome in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the Jets and, almost collapsed. And, and then they they return home to AT and T Stadium yeah. and they just boat race the Eagles and they look like the NFC. East now is a one-team race with the Cowboys, so you don't really know what you're getting with Dallas from one week to the next. So if the Giants can somehow, you know, get a win on the road against, as you talked about, a very beatable Detroit Lions team, and then come back home and and beat the Cowboys, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, you can start to feel really good about the direction of this team. But the flip side of that coin is. This is a Lions defense that has only had 10 quarterback sacks all year. Wow. So the the Giants offensive line gives up eight last week. This is the type of game where if the dam starts leaking again, you have to be really concerned about what the Giants offensive line is and what the offense is going to do against some much superior competition because you still have one game against the Cowboys. You still have a game against Khalil Mack and the Bears. Two games against that Eagles front seven that took its lumps against the Cowboys, but a lot of talent there with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. So, so again, Again, if you want to talk about litmus tests, we're going to find out where this Lions uh, defense is and where the Giants offensive line is coming off one of the worst performances in recent memory. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, they have to be able to stop this front. If they're going to stop any front, it should be this Detroit Lions front. And uh, I think you look at this team, the Giants, two and five right now, right? Would you be I, I don't think anybody would be shocked if they went into their bye week at five and five or two and eight. It could yeah. totally go either way because of how um, because of the opponents mainly and because of how sort of uneven the giants have looked these are these are three games the giants you, you they could win these games all three of them um but they could just as easily lose them and i think the jet game would be just a disaster for be an Schirmer, disaster especially if that moves them to two and eight that would be a disaster um and, but, and that's at the point that if you're two and eight and if jones regresses further from where he walked off the field against the cardinals 
I, I don't mean to go out too far on a limb or jump off a bridge too prematurely here, but if you're 2-8 going into the bye week, I think there's some long and hard conversations about the head coach. Look, Washington pulled the plug on Jay Gruden midseason. I, I don't think the Giants are the type of organization that would do that, but if it's ugly against the Lions and against the Cowboys and you lose to the Jets in embarrassing fashion, I think that speeds up some conversations that might have been saved for the offseason. Well, yeah, they did it with McAdoo later in the season, obviously, and there were some other mitigating factors, of course, as we mentioned, but how, how disaster the locker room was but uh yeah i i think ultimately when push comes to shove i think pat Shermer will be able to do enough to come back next year they will look at uh the development of jones and they'll also look at the fact that he is a sort of a raw player not a guy who you pegged as like an andrew luck type who could come in and play and thrive immediately um and so i think he will do enough to 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 return next year but it's certainly not a lock yeah. certainly not a lock at two and five and um, you know these next three games will be enormous enormous going into the bye in terms of the perception of where the Giants are headed and remember that that is big because the Giants you know their ownership and John Mayer they, they don't want to be perceived as failures and the reality is the perception of Pat Shermer right now as a head coach is that he is not a good head coach and people are People forget that, you know, how bad those Browns teams were that he coached, but the wins and losses have not been there for him. He is the 10th losingest coach in NFL history in terms of winning percentage among guys who have coached at least 50 games. He loses Sunday. His career winning percentage drops below 300. Wow. He's tied for seventh, tied for seventh worst coach ever in the NFL among guys who have coached at least 50 games. Now, granted, the rosters have a lot to do with that, but there's a perception here and there will continue to be a perception if he continues to struggle that he's a failing head coach. And the Giants do not like the perception of them being a failing organization. Not that anyone does, but it's a very image-conscious organization. And so I think that will play into it. So enormous game for Pat Shermer on so many levels this week as he gets ready to go home to uh, to Michigan. Yeah, you, you and I have both covered the league for a long time. You covered the Jets, I covered the Eagles, and now on the Giants beat. Um, I'm going to put this to you in the scale of, let's say, like a hot sauce. If you go from, you know, Buffalo Mild to Frank's Red Hot Suicide Caliber Nuclear Wings, how warm is the seat under Pat Shermer going into this game? What's sriracha? I like sriracha. Sriracha, that's pretty good. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, it, there's some heat to it, but it's not going to make you, you know, maybe start that. crying. Maybe that. I guess it's all a personal palate thing. <laughs> I, I like hot sauce. I like sriracha. So, look, I think probably if you're doing it on 1 to 10, uh, you know, 6, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that's like about that. right. Five like like, half, like a six. five and a half, six type of yeah. – because they can still string together some wins and you can still get enough out of Daniel Jones um, to make you feel good about bringing Pat Shermer back. And that's a big-picture conversation to have. I'm with you. I think around the five and a half, six is probably where the seat is for Pat Shermer. But I, I think that the more that these losses mount in winnable football games such as last Sunday, the hotter it's going to get. And the Lions game obviously is a little bit different and presents a different scenario as well because while there's no certainty – that Pat Shermer comes back at the end of next year, there's no certainty that at least a handful of players are back here next week because you have the trade deadline at 4 p.m. Tuesday, and the Giants' cupboard isn't exactly overflowing with talent, but it's not bare either when it comes to tradable assets. Guys like Alec Ogletree, guys like Nate Solder, who's come up in conversation of potential trade talks, Janoris Jenkins, the last man standing from that secondary that wasn't traded last year or walked away via free agency, Rhett Ellison, a strong blocking tight end, 
maybe Golden Tate or even Evan Ingram could be on the block and could be moved if the Giants, and they probably should deem themselves as sellers, can get the type of assets they want in return to continue building around Jones looking to the future. There's no guarantee that all of those guys are back when the Giants come back to the building next Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, it's a big – the NFL trade deadline, it seems, for, for a few years there, was was very quiet, you know, not in the, in the way of the baseball trade deadline, which typically was, you know, a lot more going on. But it seems like in recent years, the teams have become a lot more willing to pull the, pull the trigger on these trades, and especially doing it before the deadline. You've seen the guys who have been moved already, Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters. Uh, Mohamed Sanu, yeah, Emmanuel Sanders. High-profile trades already, and we're not even – you know, we're less than – you know, those are, those are more than a week outside of the deadline. So uh, I think that the, the, Jenkins is an interesting – one, but the issue there in terms of mitigating what the Giants would potentially get for him is that he has a bloated salary next year. So you're looking at a situation where it's a non-guaranteed salary, but you're looking at a situation where a team's going to say, look, we'll take the guy. He's going to be a half-year rental because we're cutting him in the offseason. We're not going to take on that salary next year. If the salary is manageable, the team could look at him as like a one-and-a-half-year asset and say, all right, we're going to give you uh, you know, maybe, maybe a little more. So the Giants, what they're likely to get for George, uh, Janoris Jenkins is, is probably mitigated by that. And I think I, I, I think Evan Ingram would be it would be a terrible decision to trade him. I think he is a rising player. I really like him. I think I agree. I think he's a guy who could be a leader for this team. I think that would be a bad one. Um, you know, and look, the, the issue here too is you know you want to get something out of Daniel Jones in his rookie year. So do you want to start giving away guys who could really help him? Um, whether that's Tate, whether that's um, Evan Ingram, I think that you know certainly Alec Ogletree, certainly Janoris Jenkins on the other side of the ball. Uh, our possibilities. Yeah, I think that last year you looked kind of as a barometer and the Giants made a couple of trades. They traded Snacks, Damon Harrison to the Lions, who they'll see this week for a fifth round pick. They traded Eli Apple for, I believe, a conditional seventh round pick. They kind of sold off some assets on defense. And, and it's all about um, looking at how do you develop Daniel Jones this year and still have pieces to build around him next year. So I wouldn't be surprised if by next Tuesday it's the potential trade to targets on defense who wind up getting moved, two in particular, Daryl. One, Janoris Jenkins, I think there's a high likelihood he gets moved because you have a lot of teams around the league, including the Kansas City Chiefs, who are competitive teams looking to make a playoff push but need a cornerback. And the Giants, you have to look at their situation as well. It kind of coincides with Sam Beal being eligible to return from IR. His first game that he's he's able to be back is next week Mm -hmm. against uh, the Dallas Cowboys in Week 9. So you can kind of swap out Jenkins, get a young player on the field, and get an asset for Jenkins and I, I'm you know my spidey sense kind of started tingling when they went out and they brought in Dion Buchanan this week after not picking him up the last couple games when he was available because I think Alec Ogletree is a guy at that contract and an inside linebacker a guy who's healthy another position on defense where if a team needs linebacker help the Giants could get by trading Alec Ogletree getting out from underneath some of that salary playing Buchanan the rest of the way and adding another draft pick to their war chest. So if you twisted my arm and asked me who were the two most likely players to be dealt, it would be Jenkins and Ogletree. Yeah, and I think if you look at Jenkins and you look at the ramifications of that cap wise, I was going back and forth with somebody on Twitter about this, but it really is the same as if he was caught. You know, if they're going to cut him after this season, which they're probably going to do anyway, why not just move him now? The season is, I mean, you're going to be eight games into the season. Uh, you're probably not going anywhere in terms of being a win now team and making the playoffs. Not at this point. Not at, not at, three and five and certainly not at two and six. Uh, 
So if you're going to cut the guy anyway, why not move him and get something right. for him? Get something back for him. Yeah. And, and they made the the corresponding roster move, so to speak, by bringing in Dion Buchanan, who has experience in that money backer role, can play inside linebacker, can play safety. So they kind of have bought themselves some insurance against moving him. And same with Beal coming off IR to replace uh, Janoris Jenkins. On offense, I think it's interesting that Nate Solder, that the Giants reportedly, according to Jason LaConfora, have been receiving calls from a team like the Browns, they're shopping. They want Trent Williams out of Washington. If he doesn't go, um, there's been reports that they've called the Eagles about Halapulaviti Vitae, reports they've called the Giants about Nate Solder. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle on trading Nate Solder because at his best, he's a competent, you know, left tackle that you want protecting Daniel Jones's blind side. But the games where he's been competent and and not have been kind of few and far between because he allowed five sacks on the season, allowed the two sacks on Sunday against the Cardinals. I believe he's allowed 26 pressures so far this season. Where do you stand on potentially trading Nate Solder? Because my thought is if you can get even a fourth or a fifth round pick, you can bring up you know Chad Slade or you can go to the, the Seattle Seahawks practice squad and sign Chad Wheeler, a guy who's been here, and plug him in for the second half of the season, knows the system. Um, but but again, you get salary cap relief, but what's the cost in terms of Jones' development if you would move on? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to put him in a dangerous situation where you feel like you have a player out there who you're just developing as your left tackle on the fly, and, and you, you got this guy on the blind side of, of, of your prized rookie quarterback. So I think if they feel like the, that that Slade or, or Wheeler would, would potentially be a competent enough replacement and it's hard for us to say because we really haven't seen as much of these guys as right. as these guys as the coaching staff has in terms of working with them internally uh, if they feel that they that he can be a plug and play competent maybe a slightly uh, less effective player but still a guy who's not going to get your quarterback killed then 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 sure uh, but if not then there's no reason to experiment on the fly at that position when you have a player back there who's so important to your franchise. Yep, no, I don't disagree with any of that, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the Giants do. They were very active last year. You saw the headline of the tabloids with Dave Gettleman with the everything must go sign. They didn't trade everybody. They brought Jenkins back. He was kind of the last of the Mohegans, and here we are again with Norris Jenkins' name and Alec Ogletree and Rhett Ellison and Golden Tate, which is interesting. And I think that the Tate, move became a little bit less likely when the 49ers traded for Emmanuel Sanders. Because I thought San Francisco trying to load up on weapons around Jimmy Garoppolo, and you look at even the Patriots trading for Mohamed Sanu, those are two competitive teams that needed receivers who went out and got someone not named Golden Tate. Yeah, I think the, the receiver situation has sort of settled a little bit in the trade market with those deals. And, they, and you know maybe those, like you said, the teams that really wanted to address that position already have um, and the likelihood of of the giant of someone you know giving the giants you know, a high pick for Golden Tate is, is less now, obviously, because those guys are have now been moved. So I, I, I don't see it with Golden Tate, um, uh, but you never know. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, uh, real quick, looking into the game on Sunday, uh, what's your feel on this one? Because when I look at it, I see two defenses that have struggled to get off the field, one defense that hasn't really generated much of a pass rush, and another one that has been exceeding expectations. And surprisingly enough, and you wrote about this on on Thursday, the Giants are the one that seems to be exceeding expectations. So if you can get to Matthew Stafford, if Marcus Golden can continue to play at a high level and you get a little bit more out of O'Shane's 
Jimenez or somebody along your defensive line, um, maybe you can dictate a little bit. But my, my, you know, quick flyover, Goodyear blimp drone overlook of this game is it could be a shootout. And I think it comes down to who has the ball last, that type of a game. I think, you know, this is this is an opportunity for Daniel Jones to really uh, handle another tough road environment. Obviously, the Tampa situation was you know, it's not really a tough place to play for a start, though. That was MetLife South. It was yeah, Giants yeah. fans <laughs> pouring in. I roamed the parking lot before, and there were thousands of Giants fans yeah. tailgating. Some of them even booked their flight Thursday before the game. As soon as they found or out that the, Daniel yeah. Jones was there or the retired yeah, uh, yeah. Long Islanders who happened to be down no there. No doubt. And, of course, playing at, playing at the Patriots, that was a tough setting for him. But this is going to be a loud environment. The Lions are are better than they than they were last year, and I think um, this is going to be a tough task for him. But a, but yeah, a shootout with Matthew Stafford. Um, now, if you say Jones versus Stafford, if you put it like that, who do you like? But I think you have to talk about the talent around each guy, and you have to talk about the vulnerabilities of the of the, of the opposing defense. So I think there's some opportunities here for Daniel Jones if if his line can protect him against what, as you put it, uh, is a pretty underwhelming front, a pretty pretty underwhelming pass rush. You know, and you talk to people around the Lions, and they are very underwhelmed by Damon Harrison this year. Came into camp, skipped all the offseason workouts, came in out of shape, just now trying to fight his way back into shape. Not really graded well by pro football focus. I think he's somewhere around like the 67th rated interior lineman. So they're not happy with snacks. The front's not getting pressure. They just traded, uh, you know, uh, Quadre Diggs, their secondary, their, their starting safety, not a popular move in the locker room. So, they, they, Giants might be catching the Lions at the right time here. Yeah, and I think you look at this Giants pass rush, and you kind of alluded to it. Uh, they have been. I wrote about this today. The Giants obviously have been, and folks know this. I'm, I'm telling people nothing they, they don't already know here. Uh, the Giants have been had an atrocious pass rush. I mean, since 2014 is the last time they've had a, a decent pass rush. So now, what, 15, 16, 17, 18, four straight years of just an absolutely atrocious pass rush, but this year they're eighth in the league right now in sack percentage. Pro football focus still has them rated pretty low in terms of their pass rush grade, but uh, they've been able to get to the quarterback a little bit more in terms of the sack percentage. Eighth in the league right now, Marcus Golden's got five sacks. Granted, Lorenzo Carter has not really taken that next step, just one and a half sacks so far for him, Uh, but I think here, if the Giants can continue to to make the progress they have as a pass rushing team... um, that would certainly bode well for them in this game. But it's a toss-up game. And no carry on Johnson in the yep, backfield for, uh, for for the Lions. So I think the Giants are catching them at the right time here. I initially picked the Lions. I might be cha- I might be sending you an email. I might be changing my <laughs> selection in this game based on all the turmoil in Detroit. Well, the picks thing is going to be done in like an hour. So it's going to be set in stone. There's no going back now. <laughs> I got to get it the, in. Once I put the words on the page, that's it. Well, I got to get it in before those, those words get typed <laughs> then. So... Expect an email from me in about 25 minutes changing my pick. Uh, I'm going to go in a different direction than I originally thought here, Daryl. I'm going to go with the Giants going into Detroit. They're six-and-a-half-point underdogs. They opened to seven-point dogs. I know that's not that big of a move, but it's a move nonetheless. Um, I think the Giants go in. They, they dictate offensively. Defensively, they do just enough, and I think they win the game something in the area of 23-17. to 17. I think the score will be right around there. I think that's a, that's a fair score. Uh, I, this is a situation where it's just so hard to know what you're going to get out of a rookie quarterback, isn't it? I think we've seen that time and again here in the NFL in recent years that you get these these ebbs and flows. And you could Sam Darnold did last year, and you know you think like, oh, there's no way this guy's going to come back off a foot injury and be good in the final stretch. And he was great down the stretch last year. Uh, same thing, you know, Sam Darnold. 
looks fantastic against the Cowboys and could not look any. This is his second year. That was his 16th start last yeah. week against the Patriots, and he was a nightmare and saw ghosts and all that good stuff. And um, But I think this is a situation where, um, yes, the Lions defense could be a little bit vulnerable, but I think it'll, I'm going with Lions 24, Giants 20, the Giants uh, still not able to get enough from their rookie quarterback and from an offense that uh, is underwhelming. Um, even with Saquon Barkley back, he is obviously not the cure-all for this team because they have a lot of other issues. But uh, I think this that 23-17, 24-20 range score is about right. I'm going with Lions 24, Giants 20. So no cover for the Lions, but a victory nonetheless. Uh, then again, again, toss-up game, so don't take this to the bank or anything. You can follow, file all your complaints there to at Daryl Slater <laughs> yeah, on Twitter yeah. for picking against the Giants in his debut appearance on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We need to do like a live episode of this somewhere. We got to do the Lee Corso head because I, yes. I, I could just see you pulling <laughs> the, the lion head with the big mane right. over your head I'm in front of a crowded bar of uh, angry Giants fans. <laughs> Let's do it. I kind of want to see that. So we'll try to make that happen. We'll talk to the powers that be, see if we can get you out with the people. But uh, welcome to the pod, Daryl. And thanks. with a fun time for sure yeah yeah looking forward to covering the team with you the rest of the season and uh and uh won't be in detroit uh so my wife is due coming up congratulations thank you yeah uh, you knew that already You're i did pretending like yes. you didn't know that <laughs> congratulating for everybody out there yeah. in the listener world uh but yes yeah, so, they can't congratulate right. you right now so i am so I won't be in Detroit, but I'll be writing a little bit from home uh, off the game, and then we'll see what happens from there in terms of when I'll be around. But yeah, so I'll enjoy working with you as always, of course, and thanks for uh, letting me be a part of this podcast uh, and uh, pick up the slack uh, yeah. from when Ryan leaving and uh, all that good stuff. So yeah, we'll get back. It's about about time to get back back in the locker room and, and yeah, talk to some coaches yeah. and coordinators and again if you love what you hear we'd love if you would subscribe in the apple podcast store it's talk is cheap follow the show at talk is cheap nyg he's at daryl slater i'm at matt lombardo nfl we're getting ready to go back into the locker room and talk to some players i uh, hope you enjoy the game this week and we'll talk to you next week right here on nj.com